Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Welcome, my friends. What an exciting episode for us to do. Most of you in our really tight-knit community in the Addiction Unlimited Facebook group, certainly in Sober Society, all of you are familiar with our lovely Amory. She's such an incredible member of our little family, and she facilitates meetings for us in Sober Society, and she just has incredible sobriety, and we love her to pieces. So I asked Amory to come on with her husband and have a conversation with us about what it looks like when one partner gets sober and the other one doesn't. Whether that partner has their own drinking problems or not, this opens up a lot of issues and and really difficult things, difficult conversations to navigate. So I just wanted to have some conversation of what that looks like from an insider's point of view. So let's take a minute and welcome Amory and Steven to the show. Thank you so much, you guys, for coming on and being willing to have this conversation with me. I'm really happy to be here and share more of my story and to help couples, um, you know, that may have gone through some similar things or just, you know, their own thing. It is our own journey. It's nice to look back. The last time I was on your show, your podcast was, my gosh, I was like 70 something days sober and now I'm 861. So it's wild. That's so good. And husband, Stephen, thank you for really being open to do this conversation too. I mean, it's so important for us to hear how our habits affect the people in our lives. So I really appreciate you being willing to do this. Of course, not a problem at all. So I think where I want to start is like your rock bottom moment. And you don't have to go into any more detail than you want to about that. But Everybody has that moment, right? Whatever it is, we have that moment that it's like, oh my gosh, I cannot live like this anymore. Something has to happen. I have to change. I have to do things differently. And we know as the alcoholic or drug addict for sure, we know how that feels. But I would love to to hear how it was for both of you, like hitting that moment where you knew there had to be significant change and not really knowing what that was going to look like. Like, what was that experience? Whoever wants to start first can. <laughs> so I think it's funny because we just talked about it this morning. I don't think that we had one specific incident or thing or event that happened. I think our rock bottom kind of came from a culmination of really an entire year of just crap. I mean, there were things that she did. There were things that I did. There were there were things that we you know kind of did you know, solo and then together that really the marriage just, I think, kept declining and deteriorating. And then I think we did come to a moment, you know, shortly after after Christmas where we basically just looked at each other and got pretty nasty with each other and we were just done at that point. You know, but it, like I said, it wasn't really one incident or one, one solitary thing. It just it was a culmination of just nonsense. Um, 
So we came to that point. It was pretty much, well, screw you. Well, screw you. All right, I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. And then that was it. I don't think we talked for probably two or three days after that conversation or argument, I should say. And about three days later, she came and she said that she had found you. And, you know, I was skeptical. I mean, I went through, you know, years of, of watching her battle. And, um, you know, I kind of took a, you know, a back seat and said, well, you know, a, kind of a cautious optimism and just said, let's just see what happens. And, you know, that was kind of our one point. And it's, it's funny because as I drive around town, I, I pass by that spot where that argument happened quite frequently. But while it was looking back on it, like, wow, that's where things almost ended. It ended up, you know, as we've come through this, being really the spot where things began and we kind of got our fresh start. Yeah, I love that. Will you talk for a minute about, I love that you said it was really a culmination of things because, I mean, we can all like certainly in hindsight look back and say like my rock bottom moment was a moment, but it was just like the straw that broke the camel's back, right? Like there were so many things leading up to that sort of final moment. What was that like for you as the partner, like sitting back, kind of watching the deterioration or the progression of the drinking, however you want to look at that? Like, I know it had to feel really sort of helpless because I do this work with alcoholics and I know that feeling of sitting back watching somebody kind of spiral and you're so limited as to how you can handle it. Like, how was that final year for you? Yeah, it was tough because, you know, I'd see her going through everything. I'd see how, you know, drinking kind of became, it became her life. She could do nothing without that. It, whether it was come home from work, first thing was a beer. Go out, first thing was a beer. Go to a, a thing with our kids, first thing was where can I go and grab a beer. Everything centered around drinking where, you know, we as a family, me as a husband, the kids, whatever we did became, you know, kind of kind of sat in the back seat a little bit, you know, to that, you know, and then once one beer is done, where can I go get another one? So, you know, it's tough to see because, you know, I saw kind of what she was going through. Um, we had been in counseling, I guess, kind of toward the end of that year. And I brought up, I said, you're an alcoholic. I flat out just said it. And she's like, and she got super defensive about it and flat out denied it. And I said, you are, I, I have some experience where I have, you know, seen, I, I've seen it. I've seen progression. I've seen people who are struggling with it. I've seen people who struggle with addiction. I go, you flat out just are. And it probably took her hearing it three, four times over the course of several weeks before I think it kind of started to maybe sink in that. And maybe she questioned, you know, am I? Um, but I think that drinking's always just been a part of her life in some way, shape or form, whether it was, you know, one or two here or there while you're having dinner, or it was, you know, two bottles of wine one night. So, you know, I think that since she saw it as a social thing, it never dawned on her that, hey, I've got an issue, you know, so I think we kind of battled through that, you know, for a little while. And then I think finally, it, it did start to sink in that, you know, hey, maybe I do have something which, again, culminates that one night after Christmas, where, you know, I think it kind of hit her in the head, like, man, I really do. And I need some help. Yeah. Amory, how about you? Oh, man, it's hard to hear. It's like I can be right back in all those moments. You know, alcohol was always a part of my life. I mean, and like you said, looking back, I can see it more clearly. 
you know, when he and I got together, I had started, I stopped smoking. I didn't want to drink as much, you know, in the event that maybe I do get married or I do meet someone or I have kids. So when I met him, it was kind of, it wasn't as a a volcano at that time. (laughs) And then, you know, things just progressed quickly with us, though. You know, we had two kids. And so between being pregnant and breastfeeding and a new mom, and I chose not to drink, right, during those times. I just don't do that during that, that time. But once all that settled, I went right back into my ways of coping with just life of everything. And I drank at everything. I was so upset that he wouldn't drink with me at home. I'm an at-home drinker mostly, but yes, to drink outside the home was so that I could be socially (laughs) normal, whatever that looks like. But, and I think with he and I talking this morning, it really, it hit me in that way that he had just never been a part of it, yet drinking had been a part of me my entire life. And so when it did get to the end, that one cold, dark, rainy night, literally, on the street corner, it was just an ugly, nasty end. And I didn't care about anything. And definitely not him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It was tough. It's interesting, too, because, you know, as the alcoholic, like so much everything revolves around us, right? Because it affects everybody around us and everything that we're doing. So for me, like I didn't have a spouse or anything, but it was my family and my friends. It affected how they behaved with me and how they dealt with me or how much time they would spend with me. Like everything kind of revolves around us. And what is she going to be like? Which version of her am I going to get? Is she going to be happier? Is she going to be mad? And how much is she going to drink this time? You know, all those things. And then when we get sober, it's kind of the same thing. Now it all still revolves around us because it's all about the sobriety and sobriety becomes the main topic. And what has that journey been like for you, Amory, like in figuring out and really having those tough conversations about how it affected him and how he felt like what have been your kind of light bulb moments in all of that? It's hard to go from being the alcoholic and everything is geared that way. When can I drink? How will I drink? How will I hide this drink? If I only bring home a small bottle, he won't think I had five, right? So then when it became, when I went into sobriety, then it was so, I was so consumed with that. So how many meetings? What do I do? So it totally switched, but I don't, I would make a calendar so he could see it. You know, we were very communicative and what I needed to do to stay sober. I was very protective of that, but I also, I wasn't getting sober to save my marriage either. So it was kind of, I have to do this regardless if he's with me or without me, because I can't go on like this. So I'm just very thankful that I have someone that was supportive and would sit through hours of repetitive conversations, really. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) as I would sift through and figure things out and go through. I mean, there's a lot of grief 
when you're healing too. Mm-hmm. So, and I had to lean on people, you know, I had to lean on him. I mean, that's a light bulb is that I had to ask for help and I had to get connected and I had to be vulnerable when things didn't even make sense. And if I missed alcohol, tell him. And maybe it was a day later because I was so upset and sad about it. I didn't even know why. And how do I tell him that I'm mourning alcohol? Yeah. Because it's Thanksgiving and it's a morning and I can't have a mimosa, you know? I mean, it's, there were a lot of humbling moments. And I think those were my light bulb because it, mm-hmm. it just, I got stronger. And I feel that it helped him just see where I was at right. and how serious I was and that it is making a change. And I am dedicated to this life of sobriety. I mean, I cannot drink, period. Yeah. How did you get to a place where you could have those conversations with him and not get defensive and not get mad when he would be honest about how he felt, you know, because listen, we get a lot of feedback that isn't all that pleasant because we are not very pleasant sometimes, (laughs) certainly in our active addiction. So how did you get comfortable with hearing some of that stuff without kind of wanting to fight back and defend yourself? When I was able to accept that my drinking was a problem and it's not his problem. It was easy for me to make it about him in a way. Well, if he was drinking with me, if this, if that, you know, maybe it wouldn't be so bad. I wouldn't feel like I had to hide it. But when I just accepted, God, Angela, it just comes back to that, accepting that I'm responsible for this thing. Right. But it was heart. I mean, it's heartbreaking. You know, it is heartbreaking when you can see what you've done or how you've made someone feel that you love. Yeah. And how it's just bled over into, you know, say my kids' lives and I mean, even work. I mean, I can see it now Mm -hmm. at the time. It's just about me. (laughs) Yeah, we really do. I mean, that that's really a thing. Like we really do think we're only affecting us. And I think it's just that inability because we are so self-absorbed and and so jaded with our addiction, right? Like it's just nearly impossible to see outside yourself. You just don't think about that stuff. Stephen, how about for you having those conversations and having to give really honest feedback about how you were feeling and how you were affected? Like that couldn't have been easy from your side either, because obviously we never... We never want to have conversations where we have to hurt the feelings of someone we love. I mean, that has to be hard. Well, I mean, sometimes it is just about being honest. You know, there was definitely a big transition from, you know, our bad year of me trying to be honest and how she accepted that and received it compared to, let's say, year one of her sobriety. You know, there was definitely an evolution in her that she could. She's like, be honest with me. And I would. And she was able to deal with it and reconcile it and not react, especially negatively, you know, right off the bat. And I think that's just becoming more self-aware of A, where you were, or B, where you're going and where you're at at that time. So, you know, it wasn't really a hard, I don't really have a hard time with honesty. I can uh, tell you how I feel or what I think, you know, whether you like it or not, it, it just is what it is. It's, it's just my truth. And, you know, letting her know kind of where I'm at. Um, I think through, I mean, even the past two years plus, but even that first year, like it, it really is about her trying to figure her path out. 
and me just kind of being that support, like she said. Endless conversations, repetitive conversations. You know, it's almost like, even from my perspective, you watch the change where in the years of alcohol, that's what it's all about. Then in the years of sobriety, that's what it's all about. And it can almost have the same look to it as far as the addiction to it. Because when someone's so hell-bent on remaining sober, and that their whole life then revolves around that, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's still some of some very similar characteristics in that as well. But I think it's just about being a support. I mean, you know, you take your marriage vows, it's for better or for worse. You know, and, you know, good times and bad, and even some of those good times can still be bad. So I think it's just really about, you know, being support, being that shoulder, being that person to lean on. Because at the end of the day, I mean, for her, yeah, she has family or friends or this or that, but it's really me. I see her every day, inside and out. There are things that I see, know, and experience that people have no clue of. And as, you know, she started letting people know, like, hey, I'm not drinking anymore, they're like, oh, you don't have a problem. But how do they know? They see her once a month or every couple of weeks or, you know, for five minutes here and there. Like, they don't understand and know what really... No one knows what goes on in the confines of your own home, but you. But yeah, like I said, I just think it's really about, I mean, even to this day, it's letting her talk. I, I'm a fixer by nature. If there's a problem, I want to fix it. It's not always my job to fix or to give, you know, my opinions or ideas or help. So it was kind of hard for me to kind of take a backseat from being Mr. Fixer to just kind of being a shoulder and an ear and just someone you know, a support system to just be there without interjecting so much. So that was kind of something that, you know, it took me a little while to not immediately fire in and be like, oh, try this, or what about this, or what about that, you know, and just letting her talk and letting her kind of figure it out on her own. Yeah. I know you guys have one of my favorite stories with non-alcoholic drinks and and wanting to experiment with those, right, Amory? And and a lot of people do. This is a huge topic all the time. Like we hear this in the Facebook group. Like people are always asking non-alcoholic drinks. What are your thoughts on non-alcoholic drinks? Are non-alcoholic drinks okay? I would love it if you could share your story. And then I want to hear Stephen's side of it. I want to go back just real briefly. With him supporting me through my sobriety... And as he mentioned, nobody else thought I had a problem. So I think that is also where my safety came in, in discussing things with him. Because it was like he was the only person that actually believed, yet knew the truth that I had a drinking problem. That just kind of hit me when he said that, because... I think that's what helped and kind of kept us together because I knew he knew the truth. I so appreciate that you circled back to that too, because that's a huge thing we hear all the time too. And I think when you're struggling with making a commitment to sobriety and you have people around you going, you don't have a problem. You're not that bad. Oh, I've never seen you be that bad. Like you can really hang on to that. And the truth is outside people don't know, you know, my outside picture that I presented to the world looked really good, 
But what was happening on the inside and what was happening in my home was a very different story. So I love that you went back to that because that's such a huge point. Yeah. It's just one of those, I had a live aha moment, <laughs> you know, is that he was it. I had a, you know, two people that believed me, like truly believed me. I can't, I'm going to get all sad. I'm not, I won't cry. But moving on to the, the non-alcoholic though, early in my sobriety, and that was probably a few months in, I thought that I could go get a non-alcoholic wine. And I went to the little store and I was there. I Googled it. I sat in the aisle with my phone going, do they have, you know, alcohol-free wine here? And I brought the bottle home and that did not go over very well, to be honest. I mean, it was, he was very upset. I couldn't understand why he's so upset. I've done all this research that it is alcohol-free. And so I am allowed to do this thing of alcohol-free. It opened up a conversation that I think finally, at two years, I get. And it's not about it being alcohol-free or not. It's my behavior. And I was still justifying why this would be okay for me. But the damage that I had caused in drinking, there's no tolerance for it with him. So when I, when that could hit me in my heart to where I could accept that it's what my alcoholism did to our relationship, to our marriage, it's just something that I no longer visit and it took me a while to get there and to be able to hear what it really was without me justifying it anymore. Which is still the alcoholic behavior, right? Yes. The whole rationalizing and justifying. And what I think about is like the time you spent doing it, picking it, Googling it, right? All of that is that same kind of alcoholic behavior. It's like that obsession let me figure this out. Let me find out which one and what's going to be the best. And then rationalize this is going to be okay. It's alcohol free. But all the behaviors are still addict behaviors. And the feeling in my gut, like even that I knew was wrong. Mm -hmm. Because what for me, why am I still searching for this thing but I'm feeling bad about it. I know it's not right, mm -hmm. which means I'm stepping out of alignment in my values, though, and also in my marriage. I know it's going to upset him. I don't know why. So now I'm going to justify it <laughs> when we have a conversation. But I think I know because you're my coach. We called you and he even said, you need to call Angela. And I did. And then he and I talked this for three hours, you know, but come to find out there was still alcohol in it. Mm -hmm. And that's what was really upsetting to me that I didn't even know that. And at that point, I was so invested that would have just that I would have been devastated if I drank some of that, you know. Mm hmm. So. Stephen, what was that experience like from your end? 
so looking back on things, there's always, you know, like I said, I had that cautious optimism after she had contacted and started working with you. And just because, you know, in the years prior it was always like, well, she's cutting back and then she'd snowball and then she's cutting back and then it's like a roller coaster. It's up and down, mm-hmm. up and down. So of course I always, you know, going in those first couple of months was like, when's the shoe going to drop? Like I see she's serious, but is this a long-term solution and a long-term, you know, thing that's going to pan out to stay this way. And I almost kind of saw that initially, my initial reaction is like, well, here we go. You know, she's trying to find a way. And I said to her, I go, you know, my biggest thing, especially in like what, what I do with work is the why, the why of things. I want to do this, why? And, and be able to justify it. So I'm, I look at it, I go, why? I'm like, why do you think you need that? Why is it so important to you? And when she really couldn't, you know, again, it became about justifying and making excuses and, oh, it's okay. and Oh, it's just this. and Oh, it's not. But why still? And I kind of gave her the analogy of like, you know, in the past, you would slow down and thinking that you're drinking two beers. So it's not a big deal, but it's still you've got to have that. So my thing was like, you've already shut the door on alcohol. You've been sober. I think it was probably three, four five months at that point. Why do you want to open that door again? You know, I mean, even if you just crack the door, you're still giving it an open. So you're still allowing that door to have a potential to open up all the way. And I truly saw it as, you know what? Here's step one. She's going to do this. Then it's going to become, well, I'm just going to have this one bottle. Then it becomes two. Then it goes back to non-alcoholic beer. And then, 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 and it just piles on. So I said to her, I go, what, what is this really going to do for you? And then I think she had either called or texted you. And your first question is, why do you need that? And she looked at me. She goes, oh, well, I guess, you know, like you guys are the same. I go, well, yeah. I said, because when you're looking at it from the outside in, the first question is, why do you feel you need that? You know, um, and after she went back and forth with you and then we had our long conversation, you know, and then I start looking into it. And then I, I see that it's whatever it is, 0.5% alcohol. Mm-hmm. It's such a minute little thing. I go, I go, you almost did this and found a reason to do it. And there's alcohol in here. And she's, what? Well, I didn't see that. What? There is. And I start breaking it down as I'm doing further. I go, yes, it might only be a spritz, but it still is. And to me, if someone's going to justify, I'm just drinking non-alcoholic, but there still is, like, I'm kind of cut and dry and sometimes black and white. And the black and white side of that is there's alcohol in it. So you're no longer sober at that point. Even though you think you're doing the right thing, but you're not. And again, it all leads back to that why, which... You know, I think that first year, I bet a lot of people struggle with that because, you know, you think about the first year of sobriety, you have holidays, you have birthdays, you have family events, you have vacations, you have all the things that you do throughout the year that you don't even think about that alcohol is involved in. Now you're doing them without, you know, and that becomes, I think, really, really tough. And I I think that whole conversation led to our kids have a whiteboard and we were in their toy room actually having this conversation while they're, you know probably on in our living room hanging out and having a good time. But I went to their whiteboard and I drew a, a spider web. And I in the center of that spider web was alcohol. And then all the different branches, all the different quadrants of the spider web, all the different little, you know, webs that are made by a spider. Every single one is something different that you're gonna have to deal with. And things might come up in four months, eight months, eight years. There are people twenty years sober that something still brings them back the Man, how do I deal with this? You know, it's a never-ending cycle. 
you know, just like a marriage, it's never ending work. You have to work at it. And just because you're married 20 years, you're not completely, arguments aren't put aside. I mean, you're still dealing with things and you're still growing after 20 years. So I think it, it led to that conversation of, you know, right now you're dealing with this one little web of, well, I can drink non-alcoholic non wine. It's fine. But it's just not because it's, again, going back to that same behavior of I need this. I want it. I'll justify it any way that I have to, to have it. And again, to me, I think it all led back to that. Why let that door crack open even just an inch? Yeah, I still agree with that too. It's hard, but, and, and this is such a big topic and, and it is a deeply personal choice, right? Everybody's got to figure out what's right for them and what feels comfortable for them. That is always my question is why do you need it? Why is it so important? What is in your glass? Because nobody else cares, right? Like as alcoholics, we're the only ones that care that much about it. And my second rule of thumb is if people are really going to embark on non-alcoholic whatever, I think a safe rule of thumb is it can't be what your drink of choice is, right? Like tequila was the greatest love of my life. I do not want an alcohol-free tequila. I don't want something that mimics the flavor, the smells, right? Because that will mess with my head. So for me to have like a non-alcoholic wine probably wouldn't bother me at all. I don't care to have a non-alcoholic wine, but you know, it just wouldn't trigger anything for me. But it's such a psychological and emotional thing for alcoholics because we're trying to recreate something and trying to recreate an experience that really I need to be focused on changing my perception of that experience, right? However, I was doing things while I was drinking, I don't need to be doing them the same way when I'm sober. So trying to recreate that thing gets tough. And that, you said it is, that's my experience too, is that I didn't want to let that romantic feeling and the romantic eyesight upon this beverage be completely absent from my life. But I also can't be acting the same way. So I, for me, I was really stuck. And I knew my choice was that I couldn't do it. I couldn't do non-alcoholic because I kept behaving the exact same way. And that really was the frustrating part. Mm -hmm. And that would get me really, you know, angry and upset because it's like, why can I not get over this? But for me, I also had to stop following non-alcoholic things say on social media because it still was so beautiful for me. I love, again, I'm like, I wish I could be one of those people. Like, more power to you. I love it, you know, but I, that's not me. And I yeah. can't, I can't do, I, I can't because my behavior. I'm not strong enough. And I think, and I'm okay to say that. I don't want to drink, but I'm not strong enough yet to even play with it. So it's just a no for me. Yeah. And so much better to err on the side of caution. Like when it comes to my sobriety, for sure. I don't want to make any sacrifices there. I don't want to take a bunch of risks with my sobriety because it's what has allowed me to build my whole life. So I'm not messing it up. This is the same conversation I have with people when, because this conversation is becoming more and more popular all the time. It's like, 
can I still smoke pot? Because in a lot of states, pot is legal now. So that has a different connotation. And I'm like, you know, listen, I can't tell you what you can or can't do. Like I can't make decisions for you for your recovery. I'm going to tell you for me, I don't want to do anything that clouds my judgment because I want to be fully capable of protecting my sobriety at every point of my life. I don't want my judgment to be clouded. I don't want my inhibitions to be down, right? Which is what substances do, because that's what allows me to make another bad choice and another bad choice. And when you start making bad choices, you start feeling bad about yourself. When you start feeling bad about yourself, sobriety becomes more challenging. <laughs> God, absolutely. I actually, I mean, in, you know, all transparency here is I made my first, say, mocktail, whatever that means, <laughs> yesterday. But it was club soda. It had my tahine around the edge, lime, orange, um, and some jalapeno. It was called, you know, it was called like a, I don't know, a spicy margarita mocktail or something. And I thought, well, dang, isn't this fantastic? But at the end, it's it's like drinking. It goes takes me back to our first conversation. It tasted like my lime spindrift. So it's still about, I'm still just a limeaholic. I need the lime and the salt. That's it. But you had that a good point is I never drank margaritas. I didn't have a alcohol removed mixer in it. I mean, it was just right. a club soda and a little recipe. And I thought, well, this is nice on a hot day, but that takes a lot of energy. So I'm going to stick to <laughs> just cracking a can or a Topo Chico. But, but it was cool for a minute, you know? So I get yeah. the, I get the. It's the romance. Of it. It's the romance. And it was great. It had been a week, a two, a month. And I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Live in the desert, you know, but <laughs> what a journey. Wow. What a journey. Okay, what would you say for each of you, what has been the most challenging aspect of this through the whole thing? I mean, you're two years into your sobriety now. You're over two years sober. Like, what has been the biggest challenge for each of you? I think, say for me, is say going through her alcoholism being in the backseat. And I think still through her sobriety still taking a back seat, you know, because I have to, because it is about her. It is about her finding herself and, and creating her a, a new path. And in some ways, uh, you know, you're still taking a back seat to everything. So I think that's something that, you know, you can kind of pull the positive out of it. So I don't think it was obviously as hard, but it's still, you know, I mean, as her husband, you kind of want to think that you're number one, but there are several times where you're just not. But it's okay. Gosh. And my most challenging part, I think, is always being up for having these conversations with him as exhausting and tiresome as they are. And as much as I feel that they're repetitive, because I don't want to bore him. I want our life to be more than sobriety, you know? So I feel that it has taken a different turn as I go more towards recovery and how I'm shaping my life now mm -hmm. to where it's, it's not as all consuming 
But when things do happen, you know, I can bounce back a little bit better. But the most challenging was really seeing him and what I had done and how it made him feel. You know, when I can't open a can, a drink, you know, a drink, a LaCroix, whatever it is, because it triggers him, you know, that stings for a minute. It's like, wow. So learning to be compassionate, I think, towards him and that he's not my enemy was really mm-hmm. challenging. And he's not responsible for my well-being. Man, that's so powerful that he's not your enemy. Like, mm-hmm. that's something... I teach with couples a lot, right? Is that you're on one side together fighting the issue. You're not fighting each other. You're not against each other. You're together fighting the issue. Yeah. That's huge. I think one big thing too for for her, like I'm I'm not a big drinker. So yeah. I, I could have a beer or two at, at dinner and go three months without and then could couldn't really care less. Um so, you're a terrible alcoholic. I, yeah, I was horrible. <laughs> I was really not good at it. And when you're not good at something, it's you, have, yeah. but, you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I think that was big. I mean, I think in a lot of our conversations and a lot of the people that she's, you know, either talked to or heard from or been on podcasts or been on, you know, Zoom calls or whatever it was, that's a, that's a hard thing when one member of the relationship is trying to get sober and the other one's still hammering away. Um, you know, it wasn't in the house. I don't need it to be in the house. You know, I was sensitive to, if we do go out to dinner, you know, I wouldn't get a drink. Um, you know, I wouldn't put her in a situation to where, Hey, I want to go out with friends. Let's go out with these friends here. And we're going to go to a bar and drink where, you know, I didn't want to throw her in that situation, you know, and throw her into the fire. Not that I didn't think she could handle it, but still again, why do I need to do that to her? Why put her in that position right. to where she's going to have to fight cravings or urges or the past or anything like that? Like, so I think that was kind of, you know, important for her too. And probably a help throughout this process is that as she's going through everything, she didn't have to be confronted with it on a daily basis. Cause let's face it. I mean, we did, did we drink together? Of course we did. Do couples drink together? Of course. Maybe they met themselves in that situation. So I think it's kind of hard for, the outside spouse or or partner looking in to say, well, you know, just because you're not doesn't mean I don't have to. I mean, and that's true, but I still think that could be done with respect. And I we've had several conversations about you know just people that she has seen or heard from in this in this process that they were struggling with that because the partner or spouse they're doing their own thing anyway. And it's like, well, you got your thing, I'm doing yeah. mine. And I just. For me, I just don't find it the right way to be. I mean, we still do things in a respectful manner. It causes a lot of anxiety for the spouse too, especially if both people are drinkers, because you question, and Stephen, you might've gone through some of this too, not to the extreme with drinking, but it causes so many questions about like, how is this going to affect our marriage? How is this going to affect our social life? Because we're used to going out to the bars in social drinking situations with other couples or parents or whatever the thing is. How is this going to affect our intimacy, right? Because those are huge issues and very different when you remove drinking from the equation. So I think it does just cause so much overwhelm and anxiety when your person quits that it's like, oh, wow, this is a whole new ball game. And are they still going to accept me? And uh, are we going to end up breaking up? Like, is our relationship in danger? 
So yeah, it's, it's a lot to deal with all the way around. Um, okay. Last question, favorite question. And I'm going to start with Steven. Steven, what is your favorite thing about the sober version of Amory? Interesting. I think just her openness and clarity of just life in general. Um, we can have conversations now that we couldn't two and a half years ago. I can be more honest now than I could have been two and a half plus years ago. I'm able to speak my mind more to where, you know, like I said, we can kind of take a deeper dive into a, into a harder conversation. And I just think that one thing that I noticed probably month over month. So say the month of December when she's still going through all the crap and then say the month of, of January and then into February. Now she started, you know, the, the journey of being sober. I think I took, and I think I put them side by side, but I saw a, a picture that we took, you know, into sobriety. And I put a side by side of a picture, you know, before sobriety. And she was, the picture was different. The smile was different. The face was different. Everything about her look and the glow was just different where she didn't have it on that left side. But, you know, when you looked in, so it, there was an absolute like visual change in her as well. And I, I showed it to her and she's like, and she kind of like it hit her. It was kind of like a holy shit moment. Like, wow, like it, it's such a big difference. So, I mean, I think those things, it's just, it is like, it's just, it's just nice to be able to have a conversation without the finger being pointed back or you're wrong or you're the, and then the nastiness come out and all of a sudden her issue is now my issue or something that happened seven years ago resolved, you know, comes back up and, you know, which I guess is just marriage in and of itself. You know, <laughs> women are like elephants. They don't forget a damn thing, even though you wish they would. Yeah. But, um, but I, I just think that I just think our communication is, I mean, it's, it's completely different for the better. All right, Miss Amory. I would agree with that. <laughs> You're like what he said. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, that's beautiful to hear. I mean, what know? a testament to like How your someone... inner strength and your confidence, right? Because that's what all that stuff is about, is getting confident enough that you can hear that stuff from him and and really process it without freaking out and overreacting, getting defensive. I mean, that's huge. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I would... All of those things, too. I feel all of those things, you know. But today at whatever, 861 days sober, I would say, I mean, my favorite thing is really being aware of my responsibility, of my feelings, you know, being able to acknowledge where I am and to be open I don't know, to other people, to accept. It just, it's really mm -hmm. acceptance. I mean, and that just has a big umbrella of all the gifts that come under that. So it is, I'm not as defensive and it's just a beautiful place to be. It's like in a, you get to exhale yes. every day. You know, that's a huge thing we say in AA too. Mm -hmm. Acceptance is the key. Acceptance is the key. Acceptance yeah. of myself, acceptance of circumstances, acceptance of other people, and being able to love all of those things in spite of challenges, right? It's just acceptance and being okay with it. Absolutely. You know, and when you're strong enough, and I feel that I've gained a lot more strength and confidence, you know, I can accept 
the way I have made other people feel. And it doesn't take me down anymore, you know? There's a lot more love behind it to where I can make it right and make it better each day with my husband, with my kids, with those closest to me. Sobriety's taught me, and my favorite is, (laughs) I mean, it's boundaries, good old boundaries. So important. I think too, though, it's easier to be in that place of acceptance and like what you're talking about when you are actively working to be better, right? I feel like people get really stuck in the guilt and shame and then they're not taking action to improve it, right? Or fix it, so to speak, and start to undo the damage. You just get stuck in the damage and that's not going to do anybody any good. You have to get in that active process of repair. And like, not only I'm sorry for my behavior and how I was, but I'm sorry, and I'm not going to be that person anymore. That's what fixes it. And that's what starts to take down all the guilt and shame we have for our insanity. I think something else that's kind of going back to like how you socialize being sober, um, I just kind of popped into my head, but I can understand where that could be a thing. Like, you know, you're used to going out to the bar or going out to the clubs and you're with your spouse or whoever and friends and this and that. I don't, I think that it leads to some awkward reactions when you tell your friends, Hey, listen, I, I've had a problem. I'm, I'm sober. I don't want to drink. People are like, uh, you know, it's a, you didn't have a problem or you didn't this or you didn't that. And, but once people like get it and it takes them 10 seconds, they're like, okay, cool. So, you know, get her a water or get her a nice tea or whatever it happens to be. I don't think you've had anyone in our lives that have looked upon that and been like, ah, you're fine, whatever, here's a beer. Like, no one's done that, and nobody will. And if they do, then that's the last conversation you have with them. They're not, they're no longer adding value to your life, so they no longer need to be in your life. But I would just think, I mean, for anyone out there that's worried about that aspect of going out with friends or being in social environments, you know, where you're taking alcohol out of it. If your friends are your friends or your family is your family, they will understand, they will accept, they will move on, and it won't be a conversation anymore, and you're going to have the same fun you did in the past, just with a different drink in your hands, the only difference. So, I mean, I think that's important, too, to touch on. I mean, they, I mean, I remember her uncle having conversations like, oh, she doesn't have a problem. And I'm like, you live in San Francisco, how the hell do you know? You know what I mean? So, I, you know, but that was, it's like, well, okay. And then that was the end of it. You know, so, I mean, people, they'll get it, they'll understand, and, you know, they'll be awkward. There's some awkward silences, but, I mean, you know, in the end, it's, it's, I, I can't see anyone then trying to shove alcohol in someone's mouth when they understand what, what, what's happening and what, what they're now embarking on. So, and that's kind of important because people, obviously, as you said, have this anxiety and stress and I'm going to go out and how are they going to receive me? If they're your friend, they're going to receive you just fine. Yeah. And it's too, I think people judge that obviously based on their experience with you, but they also, it's based on their own experience because even I had people as a bartender, I had people, one person in particular that had known me for a couple of years, only knew me in the worst part of my drinking, would come in my bar and drink with me regularly. We drank like crazy people. And when I got sober, Like he was the one person that said to me, he's like, oh, I didn't realize you had a problem like that. 
And I was like, how do you not realize? (laughs) Like, did you see how we drank together? That's not normal. But the difference was that he maybe only drank like that in those hours that he was with me. And then he went home and went to bed and probably had a normal life, right? He had zero understanding that I drank like that every single day. And that when I went home, even after the bar closed, I would stay up at home and drink another few hours, right? So it's like they put their own judgment and how they do it and kind of project that on you too. But yeah, it's crazy. I love that you said that too, Stephen, because you're right. Like I didn't have any people super negative about me not drinking, you know, maybe an awkward silence because I think people understand when you quit drinking, something significant happened, right? Whatever that might be, there was something that pushed you to the point of, I have to stop. But really 99.9% of the time, people have so much respect for it because they also understand the difficulty of it and how all encompassing it is and changing everything, you know? Right. And that's what it is. It's, oh, okay. Well, you know, good for you. Yeah. And that's, and then it, it's no longer a conversation. You don't have these hour long conversations as to why you want to choose sobriety. It's just, you know what? Good for you. I'm glad, I'm glad you're doing that. Done. Yeah. And then it's how's the weather, whatever other stupid conversations we have. I love it. Well, you guys, thank you again for taking time out of your life and away from your lovely little children to come on and do this show with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for asking me back and meeting my husband. I love <laughs> I'm you. I'm so happy to finally meet your husband. <laughs> I love you. I told you you probably have nightmares about Stephen, 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 Stephen. That's all you hear about Stephen, Stephen, Stephen. You know? No, listen, it's the same way for me as the coach, right? I feel like all the spouses who I haven't met, everybody is like, well, Angela said, well, Angela said this. Well, Angela told me. And I'm like, your spouses probably hate me. They don't even know me. Everybody's so tired of hearing my name. <laughs> That's true. I know. <laughs> All right. You know, Thank so, you so much. Like, you I guys. don't believe you. But if I call Angela and she yeah. tells me yeah. that it's true, okay, you're right. You're just like Angela. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the non, the non-alcoholic wine was case in point. I'm yeah. like, why? Why do you want to do that? And then we had a conversation for five minutes. She reaches out to you, and your first thing was, "Why?" And I'm like, "Oh, well, at least I'm validated now that I somewhat know what I'm talking about. Maybe I don't know." <laughs> Jeez. Oh, welcome to the life <laughs> of these crazy brains of ours. <laughs> You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. Candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.